0: what we believe is that at least 37 electors um, will make the judgment not to support Donald Trump.
1: Um, wait, what? That's what he said.
2: Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. Oh, that's one reason. I got the feeling
1: something right. Maybe not. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. To the I am. Yes, I'm stuck in the From middle. From Pacifica with Radio you. in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as do. heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, 93.7 in San Diego, and 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake. Up in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast and 106.7 FM KSO in Cottage Grove. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 93 FM WLRI. In Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU, the voice of Maui. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN 94.1. In Palinville, New York, on 102.9 FM WLPP. In Bellingham, Washington, on KZAX 94.9. And in Minneapolis, St. Paul, on AM 950, KTNF, the Progressive Voice of Minnesota. We're also heard streaming coast to coast and around the globe on the Progressive Voices channel. On Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com. Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Detour Talk, Radio Monterey, and Radio Sputnik. Blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow says me, if not you, from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us. Boy, oh, boy. All right, let's start here. Writing at Time magazine this week, Jeffrey R. Stone, the Edward H. Levy Distinguished Professor of Law at the University of Chicago, explains. In only two elections in American history has the Electoral College awarded the presidency to the candidate who lost the national popular vote. In 1888, it awarded the presidency to Benjamin Harrison over Grover Cleveland, and in 2000 it awarded the presidency to George W. Bush over Al Gore. But in those two elections, Harrison was behind in the popular vote by only 94,000 votes, or 0.8%, and Bush was behind in the popular vote by only 540,000 votes, or 0.5%. Neither of those situations comes even close to Trump's loss by almost three million votes and by a full two percent of the popular vote, notes Jeffrey Stone at Time magazine this week. As you probably know by now, the U.S. does not select its presidents by popular vote. Uh, If so, Hillary Clinton, who reportedly uh, received almost three million more votes than Trump, would be uh, preparing to move into the White House next month. Instead, the Electoral College votes on December 19th. That's this coming Monday. And they vote theoretically based on the winner of each elector's state. According to the results, as reported from November 8th, Donald Trump should receive the votes of 306 of those presidential electors to 232 for Hillary Clinton. It takes a majority of the electors, 270 or more, to win the presidency. Now, according to the U.S. Constitution, however, the electors can vote for anybody they want. They don't have to vote the way their states uh, uh, did under federal law. Uh, As one of the U.S. uh, founders Alexander Hamilton explained in the Federalist Papers that the Electoral College was designed to ensure, quote, that the office of president will never fall to the lot of any man who is not in an eminent degree endowed with the requisite qualifications. The point of the Electoral College, Hamilton explained, was to preserve, as he described, quote, the sense of the people While at the same time ensuring that the president is chosen by electors, quote, most capable of analyzing the qualities adapted to the station. In other words, for good or ill, the Electoral College, this really strange way that the U.S. selects its presidents was meant to be a bulwark against uninformed populism as feared by the founders. That and an insistence by smaller states to retain outsized power in exchange for ratifying the U.S. Constitution. Uh, That is why we don't elect presidents by the national popular vote, essentially, in this country, but by a number of electors representing each state. Now, during the several hundred year history of the U.S., states have adopted schemes that allow the voters of each state ...to choose which electors will vote at the Electoral College based on the popular vote in each state. Some states have adopted laws penalizing electors for voting in a different way than their state's popular vote was tallied. But it's been very rare in our history for that to actually occur, and penalties range from uh, small fees... Uh, to time in jail, to uh, schemes largely untested in federal court that result in the immediate resignation of an elector if he or she votes in contradiction to the particular state's chosen presidential candidate. Now, you've likely heard by now that a group of presidential electors, mostly Democrats, calling themselves the Hamilton electors, have said that they will not vote as their states have voted. Uh, As noted, uh, while some states make that illegal, the presidential electors who have publicly announced their intention to vote counter to their state have so far said they don't care about those penalties. They don't care about those fees. They will pay whatever the fine or face whatever legal consequences are prescribed by their states for breaking their pledge and becoming so-called faithless electors. Harvard constitutional law professor and uh, very short time 2016 Democratic presidential candidate Lawrence Lessig has uh, offered to give free legal advice and support to presidential electors who are not uh, who are considering not voting for the presidential candidate selected by their state this year. So far, just one Donald Trump elector, a guy by the name of Christopher Supran, a paramedic in Texas, has publicly Uh, So far, he's the only one to have publicly announced he did this last week that he felt Trump was unfit to become president. And thus, he could not in good conscience vote for him next Monday when the Electoral College officially casts its vote. Writing in a New York Times op-ed last week, Supran, who says as a firefighter, he was part of the response to the September 11 attacks 15 years ago. Declared Donald Trump has, quote, "...failed to unite America and drives a wedge between us. He does not encourage civil discourse, but chooses to stoke fear and create outrage. This is unacceptable." Supran cites Hamilton's Federalist Papers uh, and and the argument that the uh, Electoral College is meant to, quote, "...determine if candidates are qualified, not engaged in demagogy, and independent from foreign influence." Mr. Trump shows us again and again he writes that he does not meet those standards, given his own public statements. It isn't clear how the Electoral College can ignore these issues, and so it should reject him, Supran says. I owe no debt to a party. I owe a debt to my children to leave them a nation they can trust. The election of the next president is not yet a done deal, he notes. Electors of conscience can still do the right thing for the good of the country. Presidential electors have the legal right and constitutional duty to vote their conscience. I believe electors should unify behind a Republican alternative, writes Chris Supran last week in The New York Times. Chris Supran, a uh, a Republican elector who is supposed to vote for Donald Trump, says he ain't gonna. He cites uh, as a Republican alternative, for example, Ohio Governor John Kasich and says that he prays his fellow electors will do their job and join with him, adding 15 years ago, I swore an oath to defend my country and constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. On December 19, I will do it again. Again, that was a Republican elector from Texas, Chris Supran, writing in The New York Times last week. Now, earlier in November... A different Republican elector, also from Texas, concluded that he could not in good conscience vote for Trump either. But instead of planning to vote against him, that elector resigned his role as an elector. Now, on Tuesday, Lawrence Lessig, the Harvard professor who has been advising presidential electors seeking legal support, said that so far he believes as many as 20 Trump electors, 20 Trump electors, at least as of yesterday, may not end up voting for Trump when they cast their votes next Monday. Lessig tweeted yesterday, We believe there are now at least 20 GOP electors considering a vote of conscience. Last week, there was one. Writing on Tuesday at the Daily Beast, Lessig noted, Legally, Or better, constitutionally, electors are free to exercise their independent and nonpartisan judgment. As Supreme Court Justice Robert H. Jackson put it, they can do so however they wish. No state law can tell a presidential elector how he or she must vote any more than a state could tell the electors, as the Constitution describes uh, those who select uh, Congress, for example, we the voters, Uh, No more than any state could tell we, the voters, how we must vote. The Constitution sets the requirements for an elector. Federal law regulates how electors act. Those are the only legal requirements that may, according to Lessig, constitutionally constrain any elector. Thus, he says on December 19, by what should be a secret ballot, an elector can vote however he or she wishes. Without fear of any legal consequence. Well, I'm not sure if that's true or not, but then again, I'm not a uh, constitutional uh, uh, law professor or scholar. Of uh, of course, it will take 37 GOP electors, 37 electors uh, already uh, being counted for Donald Trump would have to vote for someone else on Monday, someone other than Donald Trump, in order to prevent him from getting the 270 electors needed to win the majority of the Electoral College and the White House along with it. And even then, if none of the candidates received the requisite 270 Electoral College votes, then the top three vote-getters in the Electoral College would be sent to the Republican-controlled U.S. House of Representatives to decide the presidency as per the 12th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. The top three vote-getters for president would go to the House. Uh, Each state, uh, based on the majority delegation, gets one vote, as I understand it, uh, in the U.S. House to determine the presidency. And and the top two uh, vice presidential uh, vote-getters, that goes to the U.S. Senate. That's a different question. So color me skeptical, frankly, about any of this actually coming to pass next Monday. But, you know, I'm always uh, I'm always skeptical. I was the guy who was skeptical about Hillary Clinton actually winning on Election Day when uh, when everyone else said she had it in the in the bag. Uh, And this election has offered nothing but surprises so far. Uh, So who knows what might happen? Well, someone who might know what might happen, at least a bit of what could happen next week, is one of those Hamilton electors I mentioned. Michael Baca, a presidential elector from Colorado, joins us next to explain what he knows and doesn't know about how he and other presidential electors plan to cast their vote for president of the United States next week. That's next on The broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Oh, <laughs>
2: And thanks.
0: Don't be, Don't afraid, be afraid, afraid of your freedom. Freedom. I'm free to do what I want any old time.
1: Maybe. I said I'm free to do what I want any old time. Maybe uh, we'll see if the presidential electors are free to do whatever they want next Monday. We will talk with one of them momentarily on the night of the presidential election in 2012, when Mitt Romney had lost in electoral votes but still barely, uh, briefly led Barack Obama in the national popular vote totals because California's results had yet to come in. Donald Trump took to Twitter, this was in 2012, and he sent a furious series of later deleted tweets denouncing the Electoral College and calling for a revolution, literally. Here's some of those tweets. He said, This election is a total sham and a travesty. We are not a democracy. More votes equals a loss. Revolution, he called for on Twitter. Let's fight like hell and stop this great and disgusting injustice. The world is laughing at us, he said. We can't let this happen. We should march on Washington and stop this travesty. Our nation is totally divided. Remember, at this time, uh, Mitt Romney was leading in the popular vote. Uh, over uh, Barack Obama, who had already uh, received the electoral votes that he would need to win the Electoral College. Trump went on to say, The phony Electoral College made a laughingstock out of our nation. The loser won. He said, Obama lost the popular vote by a lot and won the election. We should have a revolution in this country. That was Donald Trump then. And now, of course... Uh, Hillary Clinton has won the popular vote by some three million votes. And now Donald Trump is singing a different tune about the Electoral College, uh, tweeting uh, just after the election day, a week or so after he said the Electoral College is actually genius in that it brings all states, including the smaller ones, into play. On Monday, as discussed in the previous segment, the Electoral College will finally cast its votes for president in 2016. Remember, when you vote on Election Day, you're actually voting for the presidential electors for each candidate, not for the candidates themselves. The electors, according to the U.S. Constitution, may vote for whoever they like, though some states uh, penalize electors for not voting for the candidate determined by a majority of the state's voters on Election Day. Yesterday, Lawrence Lessig, the Harvard constitutional law professor who offered free legal support for electors considering voting against Donald Trump, said that while just one Trump elector, Christopher Supran of Texas, has come out publicly to state he would not vote for Donald Trump on December 19, there may now be as many as 20 also planning to do the same. We believe there are now at least 20 GOP electors considering a vote of conscience, Lessig tweeted this week. Last week, there was one. Lessig spoke on Meet the Press Daily with Chuck Todd on Tuesday about the legal, constitutional, and moral obligations of the presidential electors.
0: What the court said in Ray versus Blair was that while the states could not legally force electors to vote one way or another. They were free to create a moral obligation to say that they would pledge to vote one Mm -hmm. way or another. And I think that's the right uh, rule. They can't be forced by law, but they have an ethical, moral obligation once they take the pledge, and they must vote that way unless there's an overriding moral reason not to vote that way. And the disqualification or the failure of a candidate to live up to the qualifications um, would be one such reason. Uh, And that's exactly the issue that's raised by this election. The Electoral College was made for this election precisely.
1: Unless there's an overriding moral reason to not vote that way. Lessig went on to say, based on his conversations with electors, the, uh, the number could actually be higher than the 20 so-called faithless electors choosing to vote against Donald Trump. Now, color me very spe- uh, skeptical about all of this, but if 37 Trump electors decide to vote against Trump and all of Hillary Clinton's electors decide to vote for her, some have said before the election that they would not... Then the decision on who will be the next president of the United States goes to the U.S. House of Representatives, as Lessig explained. What we
0: believe is that at least 37 electors um, will make the judgment not to support Donald Trump. And if that happens, then, of course, it goes to the House and the House has to pick among the top three candidates. Uh, A week ago, there was one Republican elector who had come out and said that he was not going to vote for Donald Trump. What we believe, surveying the three groups that I'm aware of that are advising and supporting Republican electors, is that there's at least 20 right now. Some tell me that the number is higher than that. It should be more like 30, but I feel confident saying there's at least 20. Now, of course, if they don't get to 37, I doubt any of them beyond uh, the one, Chris Supran, who's actually come out in public, is going to vote against Donald Trump. But if the number gets to 40 or around 40 then i think you're going to see a very interesting dynamic as they see there's a reason for them to exercise their con the vote of conscience which i think they are all struggling with right now
1: uh, okay as many as 40 really Well, I told you on Election Day not to believe anyone or anything being predicted about the election itself and that uh, given this crazy election cycle, anything could happen. That certainly came true when Donald Trump was declared the winner of the election on election night. And even over the past couple of weeks, as Green Party uh, presidential candidate Jill Stein filed for unprecedented, if almost completely obstructed, so-called recounts in three states. So could another surprise be in store for next Monday when the Electoral College meets to cast its votes for President of the United States? Joining us now is one of those electors, though not an elector bound to vote for Donald Trump. Michael Baca is an elector from the great state of Colorado, and he's one of the Democratic electors, part of a group calling themselves the Hamilton electors who, because this election has not been bizarre and full of surprises enough, has stated that uh, they plan to vote for a Republican alternative to Hillary Clinton in order to help encourage Republican presidential electors to do the same and not vote for Donald Trump. Okay. Okay. Michael Baca is a former U.S. Marine, honorably discharged, studying for his master's degree on education and human, uh, human relations, and he is taking on Donald Trump. He is a national delegate to the Democratic National Convention, and who knows how he might vote on Monday. Well, maybe he does. Michael Baca, sir, welcome to the broadcast. <laughs>
3: Hey, thank you so much. Uh, it's, it's an honor to be here.
1: Yeah, and You have stated, uh, great to have you, you you've stated uh, publicly that you will not cast your electoral vote for Hillary Clinton, if I understand it, uh, because your hope is that somehow this will encourage Donald Trump electors to also not vote for him. Is that still your uh, thinking, and did I describe it accurately?
3: Uh, I believe you had an accurate description. So, you know, on December 19th, 538 individual people, Not numbers on a map, not computer-generated, not Wolf Blitzer numbers. 538 people will be casting a ballot for president of the United States of America. I believe that uh, by reaching across party lines, um, I am putting my country above my party. And I may not agree ideologically on what the Republicans stand for, but Donald Trump is a clear and present danger to to our republic. And I, I believe that it is imperative in this election that we do exercise our, our conscience and our moral judgment to ensure that we don't have anyone influenced potentially by foreign councils, uh, by foreign leaders into our councils, um, as Alexander Hamilton will discuss in Federal 68.
1: Now you say you're reaching across party lines. Are you in touch with other electors, uh, not just the Democratic ones in Colorado, but uh, other electors, Republican electors from other states?
3: I've spoken to Republicans in a handful of states. Um, I have not spoken to all 538, uh-huh. um, but I've spoken to a fair bit amount. Uh, a lot of Republicans are, you know, they feel bound to vote for Donald Trump because. They feel that these laws in twenty nine states, my uh Colorado's included, mm-hmm. um have these have these binding laws. Uh which uh I believe and uh lawyers as well, um, run by help uh help in part by Electors Trust or Hamilton mm-hmm. Hamilton defenders, mm-hmm. um, believe that these laws, these binding laws are unconstitutional, citing that very same Ray versus Blair case in nineteen sixty two.
1: It, it, though that, and I want to ask about that uh, case because there's actually a court case in Colorado uh, filed, I believe, by your a uh, couple of your fellow electors. But when you say you've been uh, talking to some of them on the Republican side, uh, do you get the same sense that Lawrence Lessig seemed to uh, offer? Uh, in in those comments we played, that there could be, uh, well, as many as 20 or 30 or 40 Donald Trump electors who may decide to vote against Donald Trump next Monday?
3: Uh, You know, I I try to operate my life with a heavy dose of skepticism. Mm -hmm. And until things are out in the public, you know, the only thing that I will confirm is that we have one public Republican elector. Um, Are there others out there? I, I do believe so. Um, are they not public? I do believe so. Um, but to 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 speak to a specific number? I don't think so.
2: Mm
3: -hmm. Uh, I I just can't speak to that. And I'm not Professor Horns Lessig. So, (laughs)
2: um,
3: I think that his comments, uh, I don't think he would just speak without having any factual evidence.
1: Have you been in touch with Lessig yourself concerning uh, legal advice on uh, you know on what happens if you don't vote as you're supposed to or as your state requires mm-hmm. you to in any event?
3: Um, I've been in touch with members of his team um, because, as you noted, the Colorado case mm-hmm. and uh, Judge Wiley-Daniel did not uh, grant the temporary restraining order, but I was not a plaintiff on that case, nor did I testify. And one of the things that I, I really want to bring into light that wasn't talked about in that case is Professor Akhil Amar from Yale. Mm -hmm. I've been in consultation with him, and one of his legal theories, or he's one of the foremost experts on constitutional law, and he believes that in light of extraordinary evidence, after the voters voted on November 8th, gives us the moral authority to then vote against how our our states voted. So I'm referring to Mm -hmm. either the the increasing uh, show of force from uh, from China um, by flying nuclear uh, by flying planes with nuclear weapons uh, over the South China Sea, or the Russian influence and the uh, ties that the uh, Washington Post article uh, brought out. But I would want to note that those were unnamed sources as well. So I'm right. going to hold skepticism to everything.
1: Uh the, the speaking of this uh, case in Colorado as I understand this week and and you may know more than I do here but uh, I believe a federal judge has ordered the uh, presidential electors in Colorado that would be you uh, uh, among them uh, to vote for Hillary Clinton or else I guess you 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 paste, uh, you, you face, uh, yeah face a penalty what's the penalty in Colorado if you don't vote as you're supposed to and uh you know well, let me first ask you about the penalty. What would be the actual penalty if you don't uh, vote for Clinton? The
3: penalty, if I was to be prosecuted, which I, I don't feel would be likely, mm-hmm. um, would be $1,000 and up to a year in county jail. Um, one other thing I would like to note on these these ballots that we go, that we, on, on Monday that I'm going to go and uh, cast. Mm-hmm. I'm being told that they're pre-printed with Hillary Clinton and Tim Kaine's name on there. If they're pre-printed, why do we have individual voices going to vote? Why not just have the governor sign off? Why, what is the need for us if you're going to place the name in our mouths before we get a chance to exercise our rights?
1: You're, you're absolutely right. I was going to ask about what the actual process is. The electoral college doesn't actually gather together. You, you each gather in your own home states, I guess. Is, is yeah. that how this works?
3: I don't know how, they, I assume the other states will do this the same way, but we're on, on high noon, December 19th, um, well, actually at 11.30. Right. Uh, we have to go and be in the governor's office, uh-huh. and they will have all the, all the paperwork there that we need to uh, carry out our electoral responsibilities. Uh, we will then have an oath, and I am being told that if we break this oath, one of the other penalties they will add is perjury. And this is new to me on the past hour. So, you know, we'll we'll see on Monday, but I I still do fully intend to, and I have made no secret of this, Uh that I'm going to be voting for a consensus Republican candidate. And the Secretary of State on December 9th still chose to certify me. So I I don't see how they're going to have grounds to remove me um, as long as I vote, as long as I fulfill my duty to vote
1: if the ballots as you say michael Bacca, are printed with uh hillary clinton's name on them how uh, how do you how do you plan to work around that uh whiteout <laughs> you're you're going to bring or, you yep.
3: know, no i i'm being i'm joking on the whiteout right. but i'm being told that i um to cross the names out and uh just write in the names that i, I do intend to uh cast my ballot for cuz what I believe that it is unconstitutional if I refuse to act. I will act. But I will not be voting for Hillary Clinton nor Timothy Kane. And I believe in doing so this is putting my country above my party because Donald Trump is a clear and present danger to our republic.
1: The uh, Chris Christopher Supran, the uh, the one Republican uh, uh, elector who has come out and publicly stated he will not vote for Donald Trump, I believe, said he was going to uh, vote for John Kasich, governor of Ohio or someone else that he would be consulting with other electors about. Have you spoken mm-hmm. to uh, him about this, and uh, do you plan, is there a consensus Republican uh, uh, compromise candidate like John Kasich that you you, you and others plan to vote for? Uh,
3: John Kasich, Governor Kasich, uh, respectfully, his name has been thrown out there, and I, I believe I had a press conference that uh, stated that I would be voting for Governor Kasich. Now, of course, he had his tweets. Um, but reading in between those lines, I, I get the feeling that Governor Kasich is, are could potentially be our George Washington, who our first president didn't want to become the president. He had to be called down from Mount Vernon when the people united and they they voted for him in the only unanimous electoral college vote or the electoral college at that time, 69 votes, and of course we're not going to get all 538 people to vote for one person. I'm acknowledging that, but I still think that people will be able to unite around possibly Governor Kasich. Um, one of the other names that has been thrown around and i and I given a great deal of thought to is Evan mm-hmm. Um I think he would be uh, another excellent candidate. Um,
1: the Republican candidate who ran, a former Republican, uh, former CIA guy, a uh, congressman who actually was on the ballot, uh, did well in was hope, hoping Utah. in any event to do well in Utah. Yeah, go ahead.
3: Yeah. Um, or, you know, we have Condoleezza Rice could be an option, Colin Powell. I mean, there, there's a bunch of names that we're... I understand we're running out of time, but a lot can happen in uh, in a 24-hour news cycle. So, you know, thankfully we have geography collapsing technology that I can get in contact with people uh, pretty quickly.
1: Uh, this is uh it's all kind of extraordinary. H- how did you become an elector in the first place, uh, Michael Baca? I think people don't e- have any clue uh, what the electoral college actually is, and how it works. H- how did you how were you uh, deemed to be an elector in the state of Colorado?
3: So after I showed up to caucus uh in March March 1st, I believe was the date, um uh, I was given paperwork or emailed paperwork by the uh, private party, the private Democratic Party here in Colorado. Mhm. And I filled out the paperwork to be a state delegate, a national delegate, and a national elector, and I think a county delegate as well. And I didn't have any intentions to to run, to to do any of this, to be a national delegate or be an elector, unless I'd be the only one. Well, a week before the county convention started, when we voted for Congressional District 1's national elector, um, I was approached by a group of local progressives, and they said, would you be willing to vote for the Democrat when the Democrat wins. Mm-hmm. Well, or Hillary or Bernie. Mm-hmm. I'm a, I was a Bernie Sanders national delegate, um, and I strongly believe in his message of unification. And uh, I, I I was like, sure, I'll run. No one else mm-hmm. wants to do it. I showed up. Um, I walked around, shook some hands. People voted on me, and I became an, an elector-elect. And I was not elected as an elector until... Colorado went blue, and the Democratic slate won on November eighth, which was the election of the electors. Mm-hmm. The immediate election for president isn't until December nineteenth.
1: Now, now, you're a former Marine, and and I know you spoke a bit about this, but uh, what are your misgivings about taking this oath, being elected by the people, fairly elected, uh, presumably by the people, taking an oath to vote the way that they've been uh, that they have directed you to? but then not doing, uh, not doing so when the Electoral College votes on December 19th. How does that square with your, uh, with your oath as a, as a Marine?
3: So before I earned my title as a Marine and when I was at the MEP station, I swore an oath to protect and defend this country against all enemies, foreign and domestic. That is an oath that I live by. Um, like I said, I was a Marine, mm-hmm. and honor, courage, commitment, Semper Fidelis, Always Faithful. These things are very important core values into me. So when I'm looking at the possibility of a Donald Trump presidency, and I want to note that he's not the president-elect right now. Correct. He's not president-elect until we vote (laughs) on December 19th. Right. So, yes, my constituents out here and every oath uh, will direct me to be voting for Hillary. Why? What will that do? That will do nothing to stop Donald Trump, who is a clear and present danger. I I do believe by putting my country above my party, I'm actually getting a better deal for my constituents out here in Colorado, because I was elected to represent them to then cast the ballot. Well, ultimately, the goal of the Democrats was to stop Donald Trump. That's why they chose to nominate Hillary Clinton at the Democratic National Convention. And Donald Trump won. However, I do believe that there are enough Republicans out there that find Donald Trump to be enough of a threat, in addition to the extraordinary information that has been made available after the election on November 8th and before December 19th, that gives me the moral obligation, the moral duty, and the the freedom uh, to vote against Hillary Clinton and cast my ballot for a Republican. And I also want to note, and I apologize, but I want to note that I have spoken to um, a crowd of about 200 Congressional District 1 electors, or not electors, uh, constituents, at a a function. And I told them, many of you voted for Hillary Clinton, and and when you voted for Hillary Clinton, you voted for me. Now, I'm not going to be voting for Hillary Clinton, and I got a round of applause, because they understood what I'm trying to do. And so I don't think people will be upset. Of course, there will be some. But, you know, in politics, you can't please everybody, right? Well,
1: I I know who would be upset is supporters of Donald Trump if things don't go the way they're planning. One of the things that I've heard as we brought this up is uh, that there would be uh, riots in the streets if Donald Trump is not uh, elected by the Electoral College and if it, uh, the matter has to go to the U.S. House of Representatives to be decided. Uh, w- what is your thoughts on that? What would happen in the streets if your plan plays out, if you, uh, you know, as you hope, if the electors do not give Trump 270 votes? Is, is, is that a concern, uh, the, the reaction? Would, would there be riots in the streets?
3: I mean, I would assume there's going to be some protest, and we have all we have the freedom to protest. Um, I have heard things far worse, than there could be a civil war. So then my response to this is, why then give these people the power? Once they become the presidency and they're already threatening, for example, when Donald Trump sends out a tweet to the uh, union leader of Carrier, mm-hmm. and then his followers start to threaten and attack this individual... What happens when he actually has power? That is all the more reason, to, I believe, to stop Donald Trump before he takes office. He's going to have control of a media network now. He's gonna, he has Steve Bannon as his chief strategist. The alt-right, I, I want to say worse things, but you know that's the politically correct term at this point in time. And this alt-right movement, um, which is, I, I think, disgraceful, is, uh, is only going to feel more empowered. So that is all the more reason. To stop him before he takes office. Because once you stand up to Donald Trump, like uh, Christopher Supran has done, mm-hmm. he doesn't go after Chris Superin. He's only going after the electors who haven't spoken up yet. And uh, I think that's something to pay attention to.
1: Have, have you heard from, uh, from voters, from uh, politicians, from the public, uh, basically pressuring you uh, one way or another uh, concerning your vote?
3: No, I mean, I've had, you know, online threats, which I don't take, you know, just take it in stride. Um, no one's pressured me uh, to do what I'm doing. And I, I believe that I am perhaps a unique Democrat that is truly willing to put my party or put my country above my party. And this isn't about party politics. This isn't about, um, as Judge Wiley Daniel said, a political stunt. I should take a great deal of offense to that. Um, this is about doing what is best for the country, and I believe a more responsible Republican is that option. I'm not trying to overturn the vote of the Electoral College, because that's the current game we have. So the Electoral College vote won, even though Secretary Clinton won the popular vote. You will not find 37 Republicans to give up power of the White House to any Democrat, much less Secretary Clinton. So the next best option to defeat Donald Trump unite around a responsible Republican, and uh, I think that we'll, uh, I think we'll prevail on Monday.
1: I know you can't uh, speak to specific numbers, but uh, you really think you're going to prevail? We could be looking at a, at, a, at a, at a big surprise on Monday, My, uh, Michael.
3: Well, we were in, we were all in for a big surprise, and I'm not trying to throw you into the wee, but yeah. most of us were into a, in, a big surprise November eighth. Um, heck, when the Cubs won the World Series, I think we're all in for a big surprise. So, uh, you know, surprises happen. This is uh, the year 2016, and uh, if there's a time in history, um, I believe that this is the time. I believe we're in a different situation than uh, Bush versus Gore, because we have this technological infrastructure that, you know, we can collapse geography when we speak um, and and share ideas in a a much faster, more efficient way than in 2000. Um, And I think that if this continues along, where you have this, uh, you have a potential demagogue taking office, that we could see this again. Um, so I- I'm quite confident that uh, the American people will put their country above their parties and will uh, will prevail at the end.
1: University of Chicago, uh, Chicago law professor Jeffrey Stone wrote about the electors this week and said, if they do not award the presidency to Donald Trump, they will of course be condemned by Trump and his supporters and accused by them of destroying our democracy. That will be ugly. But he said this is where John F. Kennedy and Profiles in Courage enters the picture. He said if this is the right outcome, then our electors must fearlessly and courageously do right by our nation. That, he said, is their constitutional responsibility. If they fulfill that responsibility, they will not be faithless electors, but faithful ones. Our nation will be proud of their courage, their sense of responsibility, and their integrity, and they will have fulfilled the most fundamental vision of our founders. That was Jeffrey Stone. Uh, Michael Baca, I realize it takes uh, courage to do what you're doing and trying to figure out and... uh, 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 I I just want to actually thank you for your service, uh, not only as a U.S. Marine, but now uh, as an elector, which uh, I suspect may be as uh, frightening as anything you you had to go through with the Marines. I don't know, but it takes a lot of courage and uh, really appreciate what you're doing, Michael.
3: Well, on on the Marine Corps note, I, I want this to be abundantly clear. I only served two years. I was honorably discharged, but I had a great deal of personal struggles. And because of those personal struggles that I um, encountered, um, that'll probably shed some light on as to why that I am not afraid to do what I'm doing right now. There's nothing left for me to fear. And Donald Trump or his followers do not scare me because I believe I am standing up for millions of people. If I have one one voice out of 538 people who's going to select the president... And you denigrate millions of people Then I'm going to do all that I can And it's not about me It's not about Pauly Baca. It's not about Robert Nemine, It's not about anybody else It's about stopping Donald Trump Who I believe is a, is a threat to our country And could um, Taking uh, the words from Richard Painter uh, The ethics advisor For George uh, W. Bush That the emoluments issues Could get him impeached on day one So let's just avoid this and and have a more responsible Republican uh, leading our country.
1: Michael Baca, one of the uh, Hamilton electors. You can get more information on them and and support their efforts at hamiltonelectors.com. He's a presidential elector from the great state of Colorado, and uh, it's going to be a hell of a week next week. Michael, uh, I hope you'll stay in touch. I hope you don't mind if, if we get in touch with you as well uh, after no, whatever happens great. on Monday.
3: No, no, absolutely. I mean, Monday is going to be an interesting day. And, uh, you know, I just uh, look forward to, you know, going and joining the the, the vigils that are going to be going on outside the morning before and then going in and casting the the vote. If it's not already pre-written, and if it's pre-written, then I guess I'll just have to figure out some other way to make my voice heard.
1: Bless you, brother. Uh, Thank you, Michael Baca. Uh, Great talking to you. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Good luck next week.
3: Yeah. Thank you. Have a good day, sir. You
1: bet. In addition to uh, HamiltonElectors.com, you can also check out ElectorsTrust.org. That's the uh, uh, Lawrence Lessig's legal group, I believe. That is is uh, helping these electors. They say uh, the Electors Trust will defend your right to exercise your independent and nonpartisan judgment. We will defend you, this is speaking to the electors, against any fines or legal claims that might threaten the freedom of your vote. If you are an elector, we will also allow you to know how many others like you there are. How many, not who, because we will never reveal any electors' views to anyone ever. And they urge conscientious electors uh, to to reach them at electorstrust.org. Wow. Okay, quick break, and we're back with more Bradcast right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hey, this is Brad. Remember me? The guy who was warning you about Donald Trump from the day he entered the race when the rest of the U.S. media were telling you his candidacy was a joke, that he'd never win, and that Hillary Clinton had it in the bag. We told you otherwise from the beginning and up until Election Day. Well, we may have been right, but we still don't have corporate or foundational support. We still rely on you to stay on your public airwaves. Please stop by bradblog.com donate to support the work that Desi Doyan and I do every day. This country ain't going to save itself, but we can all do it together. That's Brad slash donate and thank you. Monday,
3: Monday. <laughs> Monday.
1: So good. see how good it is to anyone welcome back to the broadcast brad friedman from Bradblog.com. wow uh just wow uh that was uh kind of amazing desi doyan oh oh,
2: yeah uh, i agree it's like we're all suddenly getting a very very deep and important and crucial civics lesson and how government works
1: Or doesn't work. And this could completely go away on Monday and it means absolutely nothing. Uh, But, you know, I've been following this story closely. I know early on uh, there was uh, one of the fastest growing petitions, according to Change.org, ever. Uh, a petition that was filed to ask uh, the electors to vote for Hillary Clinton instead, claiming that she won the popular vote, etc. Uh, it had quickly over four million. I haven't looked at, back at it lately. Over four million uh, uh, signatures on that petition. But uh, you know, you got Lawrence Lessig out there saying these things, saying, I mean, he's talking to these people at Electors Trust, and he's saying he it'll, it'll, at least twenty. He seemed to let slip in that uh, clip on MSNBC we played earlier that there could be 30 or 40.
2: Well, and that was my my concern or yeah. my question really was, you know, well, if these Democratic Hamilton electors vote for a Republican rather mm-hmm. than Hillary Clinton, doesn't that hurt her chances on getting to 270? And, you know, he did kind of address that. Well, what
1: what Lessig was talking about specifically was GOP electors right. not voting for Trump. Uh, and what Michael Baca and the Hamilton electors are doing is trying to say, hey, see, we'll do it, too. We'll go to the... We'll go to the brig with you uh, by voting for someone else to give them uh, courage to 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 do what these guys, in any event, uh, consider to be the right thing. We tried, by the way, to get in touch with Chris Supran, the one Republican elector who has so far come out and said he won't vote for Trump uh, down in Texas, have not been able to get in touch with him.
2: Yeah, he's a little buried, I think. Oh, well, don't say
1: buried. A... <laughs> he's busy. He's busy. busy. That's right. Okay, be we'll say that.
2: Um,
1: yeah, he, uh, a lot of people obviously want to talk to him, uh, but the sense that I'm getting is that a lot of these guys, uh, men and women, are Not saying so publicly, but they're going to just show up and not vote for Donald Trump on Monday.
2: Yeah. And hey, you know, it's just the fate of the world and all that.
1: (laughs) Kind of unbelievable. I also, by the way, loved. uh, Thank you, Michael Baca, for noting that Donald Trump is not the president elect yet. Drives me absolutely nuts when we see the media referring to uh, Donald Trump immediately as president-elect. No, Donald Trump has not yet been elected. So thank you, Michael Baca, for noticing that. Uh, He will not be elected until the electors cast that vote, if they uh, vote uh, 270 uh, electors for him. Brother. okay. well, we'll we'll be following that story, I suspect. Uh, In the meantime, a follow up from yesterday's uh, program when we spoke with Joe Rome about this uh, disturbing uh, questionnaire that had been sent to the Department of Energy by the Trump transition team asking for a list of uh, of staffers, scientists, contractors, etc., who had been engaged in climate science. Uh, are you now or have you ever been a climate scientist was the way I uh, described it yesterday someone replied back to me uh, to say first they came for the climate scientists
2: (laughs) but I did not speak up because I was not a climate scientist
1: and uh, now the uh, Trump team has uh, told CNN uh, that the questionnaire was not authorized or part of our standard protocol the person who sent it has been properly counseled Note they don't identify who that person was and they don't say that the person has been fired or let go for doing that. He or she, I guess, has just been properly Counseled. Uh, do you accept that explanation, Desi? Oh, that it of course was not, not. Authorized. Um,
2: I'm 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 pretty sure that it was not specifically authorized. I mean, that makes sense. The transition team is, you know, pretty much all Heritage Foundation people for the most part, and I'm sure that they have their own ideas about what will happen and what they need to do to get everything set up and lay the groundwork, as it were. But I no, I I don't I don't buy it. I'm sure that that person has been counseled to hey, don't do it out loud. <laughs> don't anymore. do it so loudly. But the, keep going. The,
1: uh, the questionnaire to the Energy Department uh, asking for a list of employees uh, who had attended U.N. meetings on climate and those who attended meetings for the interagency working group on the social cost of carbon, which is used by the Obama administration to determine the impact uh, of infrastructure projects and reducing carbon pollution. Uh, they had also asked uh, the, uh, the the DOE to... Um, Which programs are essential to meeting the goals of President Obama's climate action plan? Now, the uh, DOE as we noted yesterday, rejected that request to list those staffers by name and to give their background. And Joe Rome on the program yesterday uh, said that it was absolutely absurd. It was ridiculous. They're about to control the entire department. They can do their own research once they get there if they want to start targeting and purging career civil servants who are not political appointees. Uh, But uh, the climate scientists are now on notice that's for uh, for sure. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, it's the, like
2: they've been emboldened. You know, sure, they didn't have to come out publicly and do this, but clearly they felt that they had the, the free yeah. reign to do so.
1: The department uh, said, uh, refused to give those names, said we will be forthcoming with all publicly available information with the transition team. We will not, however, be providing any individual names to the transition team. Uh, But today, Democrats on the House Energy and Commerce Committee and on the uh, House Oversight Committee sent a letter to Mike Pence, who is uh, in charge of the uh, Trump transition team. They sent a letter uh, asking for a copy of the questionnaire and other attempts to identify certain staffers in other departments. Oh, dear. Not sure what that's all about, uh, reading that letter, but... um, Yeah, there you go. Very troubling. Uh, And uh, that letter was sent from Frank Pallone, a Democrat from New Jersey, uh, Congressman Elijah Cummings, a Democrat on the Oversight Committee. Uh, We'll keep our eyes on that. All right. Also here uh, very quickly, Massachusetts, Massachusetts Attorney General Maura Healey has called on ExxonMobil CEO Rex Tillerson to answer questions about whether his company hid what it knew about climate change. Now that Donald Trump has announced Tillerson as his choice uh, to lead the State Department as secretary of state now that he's been nominated, uh, the Massachusetts AG told the Boston Globe uh, Tillerson should absolutely answer the questions that we have been asking for months now. And this is the opportunity to come clean and produce information from the documents Healy and uh, New York Attorney General Eric Schneiderman have been investigating Exxon looking into whether the company misled investors about what it knew about climate change and its potential impact on the uh, on on the company. Exxon has denied any wrongdoing even though those documents have shown that going back to the 70s, maybe even earlier, Exxon knew damned well about the cost of
2: burning their Product And their scientists told them, hey, we need to do something about this. And they made changes. They made actual long term planning changes within the corporation to prepare for sea level rise and other impacts of climate change, including, hey, let's drill in the Arctic because it's going to melt.
1: Yeah. Uh, They have uh, denied, nonetheless, any wrongdoing, and they filed a countersuit against uh, the uh, Massachusetts attorney general and the New York attorney general, Healy and Schneiderman. In that complaint, Exxon argues that the attorney generals are working together, quote, to conduct improper and politically motivated investigations of ExxonMobil in a coordinated uh, effort to silence and intimidate one side of the public of the public policy debate on how to address climate change. Now, ExxonMobil claims they believe in climate change. Right. They that, do now. In, in global warming. Well, they say that out loud now. Right. Yeah. Um, and yet they're saying that the AGs are uh, going essentially on a witch hunt against the company, uh, trying to silence the public policy debate, the, the public policy debate that ExxonMobil secretly put millions of dollars in uh, to these denier groups and, you know, to, to and
2: politicians the,
1: and politicians,
2: Republicans
1: to say that uh, climate change is a is a hoax. There is no such thing as global to warming. undermine
2: the science fear uh, to sow fear, uncertainty and doubt,
1: even though they knew better. Yes. For decades. Right. So uh, it's not that the yeah. attorney
2: general attorneys general are trying to silence public criticism. It's that Exxon does not want to talk about this.
1: Healy uh, told The Globe that Exxon's uh, lawsuit against her is corporate bullying at its best. The First Amendment does not protect the right to lie and doesn't protect companies from lying. Uh, I'm just concerned that Exxon is a company that seems to think it doesn't play by the same rules as everyone else. Mr. Tillerson has spent his entire career at Exxon. In my experience, she said, in seeking responses to inquiries from our office has been distressing. I think it reflects on the company and it reflects certainly on its leadership, Healy told the Boston Globe. So uh, there's going to be a lot of pressure on uh, Tillerson at Senate hearings for his confirmation at really all of these, uh, (laughs) not just the climate deniers, and there's a lot of them, but uh, really all of uh, uh, Trump's incredibly controversial nominees whether the Democrats can do anything about it, whether they can stand up against it, uh, especially with the filibuster now not available anymore when it comes to uh, these uh, presidential appointments, I think for everything except the Supreme Court, as I recall. Uh, It's unclear, you know, they can raise hell, they can ask questions, but it's unclear what they'll actually be able to do about it during these hearings. Uh, Very quickly, uh, this is all related. Um, uh, an email uh, from uh, Stephen to Bradcast at Bradblog.com. Uh, Stephen W. says, "Longtime listener. Continue to enjoy the show daily. My big question is, who will be the opposition leader or leadership? Where are these people? As you know, millions of us are scared and motivated to oppose Trump and his dangerous team and ideas. But we need leaders. No one has stepped up to capture the public sentiment and energy can you spend time helping to focus on this topic? Thanks, and keep up the great work, uh, Stephen. Uh, yeah, there are no lead There are really no leaders stepping up on behalf of the Democrats. Uh, to say how to move forward, uh, to to send the message on how they intend to move forward. At least, no clear leaders. Yeah, there are some that are, some are, that are that.
2: trying. I mean, there's the uh, you know uh, Keith Ellison, the running for the Democratic National Committee chairman. Um, but beyond that, it seems like even if there were people trying to move forward, they're getting drowned out by the constant drumbeat of crazy out of the Trump transition. Getting the media to pay attention to this, I think, is is also key.
1: There has definitely been a. There is a leader. Vacuum on the uh, on the Democratic Party side, that's for sure. If not the progressive uh, side itself, and it's been about a well, at least well over a month since the election. Okay. Anyway, we got to get out. My thanks to our producer Desi Doyan. Thank you, Des, as always. To Michael Baca of hamiltonelectors.com wishing them luck next week good lord and my thanks to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us if you missed any portion of today's program you want to hear that interview with uh, with Baca you can download it at bradblog.com for free or at your favorite uh, podcast site like iTunes etc you can drop me email as I said I'm bradcast at bradblog.com and I'm on the Facebooks and the Twitters at theBradblog. That's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.